Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your host, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we got Freddy. Always keeping it spooky. Always and forever. Woo. Also known as Nighty Night. We are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So let the lights sit back and let the darkness envelop you. If you like that and want extra horror-related content, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's like with a what? K. Yeah, buddy. And keeping things going with our, gee, thanks, Dad, <laughs> month, <laughs> also known as our Father's Day month, we are going to be talking about a pretty acclaimed film, I feel like, at this point. The Stepfather from 1987. But before we do that, we need to give a very special shout out to our ghoulish nights over on patreon.com slash nightlightpod. And a special shout out goes to Kayla, Philip, Zachary, Nashia, Frank, Kristen, Bragalock, Lizzie, Josh, Vaughn, Alexis, Johnny, Layla, Eric, Kelly, Daniel, Cheyenne, David, also known as <gasps> Knightley, <laughs> Carrie, Stu, Anna, Stephanie, Calvin, Drew, Patrick, uh, Willow, Jessica, Jared, Jasmine, Chantal, Rio, Jesse, Joe, Kaylee, Rob, and certainly not least, Freddie. Me. <laughs> Thank you all so much for keeping the lights on here at the Goodnight Studios. We very much appreciate it. We very much appreciate all the love y'all have shown us throughout these years. Thank you so much. Truly, honestly, means a lot to us. Um, but let's keep things going with this month. Now, first and foremost, Freddie, thoughts? Um, yeah, The Stepfather. So, I've actually never heard of this movie until really? it was on the list. Okay. Uh, so, you're saying it's uh, acclaimed, and then when I posted it on uh, Twitter that I was watching it, a lot of people were like saying, oh, it's going to be fun and stuff like that. Uh, and I saw the cast, and I was like, oh, I know some of these people, uh, especially the main dude. And yeah. I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed it. I think it's, and I have to like double check and stuff like that, but I feel like it plays a lot homage to a lot of like old school slashers. Uh, this movie itself is it's, uh, it's 1987. And it's not as 80s feeling as what else was coming out around that time. Right. Like there's a lot of wild shit coming out around that time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so like, it's, it's not as off the cusp as that. And I feel like this definitely. Uh, someone uh, just demonstrated this movie right where they said that it's like if Lifetime made a slasher film. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there is something that's very interesting with the score. The score is kind of like Happy Go Lucky. It's a whimsical like, score. Yeah, very whimsical. It. <laughs> it reminded me of like a TV show mm. that also has like horror elements. So the big thing that like made me remind me of like Goosebumps. Are you uh, lo- uh, are you afraid of the dark? Uh, just like the way like the production value of like, hey, this is spooky and scary, but also. Fun and enjoyable. <laughs> and the thing that I like the most out of this movie is the opening scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really cool because I feel like maybe American Psycho got some homage to this movie. Possible. Uh, because I was like, oh, this just seems like, yeah, um, Bateman just in his bathroom getting ready for his day and would walk out in his apartment just with bodies all over the place. 
Um, I felt like it was such a great intro to this character. Yeah. And how charismatic he is and how, like, perfect he wants his life to be. And he has, like, a routine. He's done this before. You can tell that this person's well-mannered. Um, and that's the thing about this movie. It's, it's about, like, perfectionism and, like, the American dream of having that perfect family. Yeah. And having, like, the perfect house, the perfect daughter, the perfect wife, and having the great job and having all these friends. Like, oh, we built a community and family together. It's things that don't realistically happen. Happen. Yeah. And There's it's just nothing's um, gonna be perfect. the fake illusion of him always wanting that. And once it actually breaks... That's where he kind of like, oh, it's time to start over. Right. And begin his routine of like, all right, now I can go find another perfect family that deserves me as a father. What's his name? Um, Because he was fucking stellar in this role. Uh, Terry O'Quinn. Yeah, Terry O'Quinn. Like he was so, like he was perfect for this role. Yeah, I feel like I haven't seen a lot of his earlier work. I think the first time I ever saw him and kind of like recognized him for his work is Lost. So that's the only um, place I really knew him. Lost the Rocketeer. As, yeah, as John Locke. Well. Oh, Rocketeer. Yeah, great movie. Howard Hughes. Yes. Um, uh, that's one of yeah. like the hidden gems that Disney's ever made. And it's about even like Nazis and right, fighting them. Yeah, yeah. What a great movie. The he was Iron also Man in before Castle Iron Rock Man. Too. He was Castle in that. Rock. Um, but the one I really known him from was uh, Lost. Yeah. Lost. That makes sense. No, that makes total sense. Absolutely. But seeing in his role is like, you're the perfect casting for this. Like, it just works. And I love it the disguises and the way he changes works. his appearance. Um, I think the daughter did a really great job as well. There's, like, moments that re- resemble, like, Psycho, which we'll talk yeah. about. There's Jill moments- Sholin, I think is how you pronounce her last name. But Jill Sholin, uh, that's that, that that's who played the daughter in this. But she's, she's also kind of one that, to me, she was kind of like that B-movie scream queen. She in was way, in, yeah. she was in Popcorn, which came out in 1991. She was in uh, the Phantom of the Opera with uh, Robert England, who played the Phantom. Oh yeah, which a lot of people haven't seen. I was just watching it; it's wild. Uh, but that came out in 1989. Um, like Curse Two, The Bite. So like you know, so she was <laughs> yeah, she, was, she was in a little career. bit of everything yeah. back in those times as well. So like she was kind of just like a B movie horror scream queen for a little bit. And she does a really good job with it. And um, I love that this movie does have some mental health aspects to it. Yeah. Where they're pretty Especially open to therapy, time. which is great. That was huge. Um, where, like, yeah, her going to therapy after, like, the loss of her father and stuff like that, that, yeah, is realistic. Yeah. And the way that his mind works kind of has, like, the, um, yeah, like, I don't know what he'd be suffering with, but, like, it shows, like, the perfectionism and how he has to have everything perfect mm-hmm. and really strives to that. Otherwise, he gets driven insane. Um, it's a good aspect, too. It's like, man, this guy might be healed if he went to therapy. Therapy is great. And I love that they pushed that, too. And it sucks for, like, what happens to the therapist in this movie. But um, I am very gladly surprised to see a lot of that screen time was in the therapy sessions with her mm-hmm. and kind of learning the relationship between them two and, and actually someone believing the main character. Right. I love that. It's like, yeah. hey, someone, this guy is off. It's like, in. you know what? I need to dig deep and see for myself and I can see if I can analyze it. Yeah. Um, so it was great seeing that as well because a lot of the times where like, yeah, the main protagonist, everyone thinks they're crazy, but it's like, no, like you are not crazy. Even though you're going to therapy, you're right. And you seem like you're afraid. I need to go look into it. I'm on your side. Yeah. I love seeing that. Me too. 
So that was a cool aspect of the movie as well. The mother plays a great role too. I love the scene, their relationship between each other. Yeah, she's great. The everyone everyone in this movie to me were like very, very well casted. Yeah. Everything felt for the most part pretty believable. Um, you know, there's it was it was a it was a good it's a good movie. Yes. It's a good movie. The only downside I would have with this movie is with that opener, I expected a lot more bigger kill count. Of course. Yeah. Uh, a little bit more action maybe as well. Sure. And then we have one of the characters who's like, I, I oh. think that's why I like this. But then though. Like, they but put like, the I shining on me where it's like, oh, I can go and investigate and do all this. Right. And once I get to the house, my story ends. I'm yeah, like, I love uh, yeah, that. That, that, <laughs> was, like, that was why? my I was like, that was stupid. Too. Like, all right. I guess you were the <laughs> distraction that helped them in the long end. Yeah. So but it's like, damn, you're just like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree though. I agree. You know, I I'm I'm with you with that as well. And and I thought we would have seen more of like a resolution of, of like with his storyline as well. Well, yeah. I thought I thought the lieutenant was going to join him, right? Like we we meet that lieutenant Jack Wall, I think is what yeah, his name that, was. That, like that was that was you totally take that whole story out of the movie, nothing changes. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. all right. I could have had a neighbor knock on the door and open it and be like, yeah, you're the distraction. Yeah, cool. that could have been it. Yeah, for sure. But, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, hey, this movie's great. It's fun. Yeah. I, you know, this is my first time watching this movie as well. Um, I I have heard of this movie many of times, and it's been on my watch list for years. Um, but I, the, I guess the way I know of this film was uh, from the Penn Badgley film uh, of the remake, pretty mm. much. I think that came out in 2009, yes. I think. Um, but that one I remember pretty not I wouldn't say vividly, but it is I remember it not being great <laughs> um from what I remember. Uh but it was uh with Dylan Walsh, uh Amber Heard is in it as oh. well. Um I think Penn Badgley's character was like he actually was in boarding school or something or like military school. Like he was a bad kid or something. And then he was home for like the holidays or something like that. And then that's when this new dude is there. Right. Which his name is David. We got bad David again. Damn it. But we got, so like we get <laughs> so David. Many bad Davids in the movies. <laughs> so many bad Davids in films. Um, but yeah, so I, from what I remember, that's how it kind of worked out. He never trusted the dude. Right. Um, Cause I think like dude, he like it was kind of like Disturbia. You remember Disturbia? Great like, movie. Dad dies and the fucking teacher talks shit about his dad. Then he beats the teacher. I think it was a similar plot like that. <laughs> but yeah, his dad dies and he started acting out pretty much. Same thing with the with our character in this one as well. Um, but let's go ahead and jump into this man because I'm, I'm I'm very excited to talk more about this film. The Stepfather, 1987. There's actually two sequels of this. Yeah. There's I Stepfather the 2 and 3. Good. That's what I hear. I hear that as well. And, th- and those are on my list too because I, lo- I love this. I thought this was a lot of fun. Uh, directed by Joseph Rubin, the other, I guess, Josh Rubin. <laughs> Released January 23rd, 1987 with a runtime of one hour and 28 minutes. No budget found, but a box office of $2.5 million with a rating of 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Hell yeah. Shouts the well fuck deserved. out. We open straight to the title card with this incredibly devious score performed by Patrick yeah. Morin. Fade to a suburb, a suburb in the early morning as a paperboy throws newspapers on the lawns of homes, throwing one in particular where we fade into. Going inside where a man covered in blood placing a suitcase with a towel on it uh, on, on top of the toilet. 
Meet Jerry Blake. Washing his hands as he stares at himself in the mirror, he opens up his suitcase, placing his new set of bag uh, clothing on a hook on the door, throwing his glasses and wedding band inside the suitcase alongside all the rest of his clothing. He showers and comes back to wipe the mirror with his hand so he can see himself shave and trim his hair. And it's crazy because, like, he... uh, he obviously didn't give a shit about like fingerprints. No, because, not during those times. I'm yeah, scared. I mean, and they well, mention it though. Yeah, they mentioned that like the fingerprints they didn't match There's because n- this never in the system is never exactly this dude just didn't exist. Right, and there's a lot going on in this opening sequence. I felt that this movie, with the score and everything that was happening, gave me Evil Dead vibes. And I don't know if that's what they were going for, especially with the camera moving and how like it's like handheld and it moves and swivels all the way up until here. And they show like a close up of his face and his eyes and stuff like that. It gave me Sam Raimi vibes for sure and how Mm -hmm. he directs movies. And at the same time, this neighborhood and it's always like a suburbia and stuff like that too. Gave me Halloween vibes. I had a little bit of Psycho later as well. Uh, Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's just like everything I love about the other movies that I've just mentioned put into one movie. Fair. And from the score from the beginning with the opening sequence, I'm like, this just feels like a slasher and a fun one at that. Yeah. And it's very self-aware. And then, of course, the makeup design on here as well of him being like fully like bearded up, mustache, glasses. And then we get the reveal later. I'm like, damn, like you do look like a completely different person. He did. I was yeah, like, he, this is great. He did look like just... Like, I'll be honest. I don't recognize this guy in front of us right no. now that I have paused. But then once he like changes his like look, I'm like, I know that actor. Right. It's like, oh, it's him. Right on. Yeah. 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 He, he definitely looks very different. He, he, he had a really good way of cleaning himself up. That's for sure. Yeah. But this was what also gave me the American Psycho vibes. And I feel like maybe they mm-hmm. took a little bit from that playbook with this movie is that he's very organized. But at the same time, like I don't care if I get bloodied. Yeah, and like then, he um, he he could get messy. Right? right, it's like he knows what he's doing. He's washing his hands, goes into the shower, putting everything he needs to get rid of on his suitcase. Has mm-hmm. all the stuff that he needs. You can tell it's not his first time. Yes. Yeah. You can tell he's done this a couple of times. Putting back on a new set of clothes that didn't fit uh, fit the look of his previous persona, he checks himself out in the mirror, smiling at his accomplishing look. Leaving out of the bathroom, where uh, we see a multitude of family photos on the wall of the home. He picks up a toy boat off the ground, going into a child's room to put it away in a toy box. He continues downstairs, where a phone is off the hook, beeping for, from the dial tone. Blood covers the walls as he goes all the way inside the living room to a whole family absolutely slaughtered inside the living room he hangs up the phone and casually walks outside the door revealing that he also killed the youngest daughter as well so i get what you mean that like this is a huge setup here yeah there's so much going on there's so much carnage Um, and gore tables are flipped over there's a random chair in the way there's blood on the ceiling on the lamp on the photos everything like this is a big big mess yeah this is a fucking massacre this is um it'd be great to have seen what this scene looked like yeah how how it transpired but um yeah we have like someone slopped over over uh there's like the sofa chair we have the main mom uh dead as there as well um but you can tell that random dude back there yeah this movie probably uncle tommy uncle tommy (laughs) oh yeah maybe Maybe you're right. Um, but yeah, this is such a great reveal because it's so shocking. 
this has the shock factor. Um, and this is saying the statement of who he is and seeing this person who's so calm and collected walking down, you can tell that there's something obviously completely off with this guy. Oh, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, he, he said, fuck them kids. <laughs> Easily. Yeah. So you can <laughs> show that he has no moral boundaries as he very, well. He very much is, he's very keen on not being disrespected, right? That was his, yeah. that was his main thing. He was like, don't disrespect me. Um, and they got out of the line, as he says later. Anyway, whistling one of Disney's racist classics, Zippity Duda, he picks up the newspaper and keeps walking down the street of the suburban neighborhood, all while the rest of the neighborhood gets up for the day. Jerry catches a ferry tossing his suitcase into the water with a smile. Fade to one year later, Stephanie Maine is riding a bike down the street with a smile. Kids are playing around the neighborhood she's rolling through, pulling up to, to her home that looks like it's right next to Nancy's house in and. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. It looks like it's right next door. She runs to the back of the house just for her mom, Susan, to throw a pile of leaves on her. She calls out to her mom, who playfully tells her that she's going to uh, get it. They have a fallen leaf fight until <laughs> they both fall on the, on the ground into the pile, agreeing to on a truce. <clears throat> Susan wants her to help her out. Stephanie does, picking up another bucket of leaves, smirking that she had her fingers crossed. Susan moves back, playfully commenting that she'll be sorry. Right before Stephanie is about to throw it on her, Jerry pulls up in the driveway, honking his horn. Susan is excited, commenting that Jerry is home. Stephanie sti um, still stays in, in the back when her mother tells her to come on and follow her. She sarcastically says that he's home as she dumps the leaves back on herself. Susan goes out to greet Jerry, pulling out a box of his car. He smiles when he sees her, sarcastically asking if this is the Blake residence. She smiles widely as she excitedly answers that, the question that it is, pulling him in for a huge hug and kiss. Knowing how the movie ends, do you think he actually had to reassure himself if he was at the right last name address? At this time, I don't think so. Okay. Because I think I think at this time it is the perfect home right now. Right, for him, right. this right? is his like his new beginning. Yeah, essentially. and I think he just moved in. Yeah. I think he like was in like not right now. Like I don't think he just. This one the relationship right got serious enough to have him move in. Right. And, well, I mean they call him the stuff. They're, so they're already married. Yeah. Yeah. So they got mind. married. Yeah. Right. And her dad died a year ago, which is weird that you moved that quick. Okay. Yeah, like that's sure. fast. Yeah, yeah, that's like oh, you mourned maybe <clears> for four months <laughs> it's like that conversation she has with her daughter later she was just like i never thought i was gonna have this again i was like how did you even think that when it right. happened immediately yeah like <laughs> you should still be mourning after a year <laughs> but sure, why not i mean uh, of course he already got was. married they moved in this is like months already of work yeah to get married and move in but, and they're knocking it out fucking yeah. rapid fire baby that's what I'm um, talking about. But I do love the mother-daughter dynamic. They're both, like, very playful still. They still act like kids themselves. They have that really good bond, and they joke around. And then it's a great way to see her react to Jerry coming home. It's like, you're the guy that's stopping us being us. Right. It's like, you just interrupted my life, essentially. Yeah. And that's where she's like dumps the leaves on herself. Yeah. It was a great aspect of her character. Her mom's being taken away from her just as much as her dad was taken yeah. away from her, right? Which the whole scene represents. It's like, hey, it was just us two and now Jerry's here right. and now you're going towards him rather yeah. than being here with me. Yeah, you're showing him attention yeah. when 
I'm your kid. Yeah. You should be showing it to me. Now that makes total sense. Meanwhile, Stephanie kicks the leaves out around the backyard as uh, he asks if she's home. Susan shares that she's in the back. He uh, has a surprise for her. Stephanie is raking up the, the rest of the pile into the buckets. Jerry and Susan come back there, calling out to her to show her that he bought her a dog. Placing the dog down as it immediately runs over toward her. She hugs the dog as he mentions that he doesn't have a name yet. He goes up to her, sharing that he uh, had a dog when he was a child. Him being just a mutt, but he named him Ren Ten Ten. It's before your time. Ugh. How original! Um, <laughs> he jostles uh, he jostles the dog's hair as Stephanie comments about the name, asking her what she thinks, wondering if they could keep him. She smiles, telling him sure. The smile uh, the smile fades when he rubs her arm, saying, "Quote that's my girl." End quote. She goes. She she's like completely taken back by it she's, <laughs> she's like, like oh, do, do not, not call, call me, me that, that. Yeah. Uh, she goes back inside the house uh, telling them that she's going to call her friend karen to tell her about the new puppy susan calls out to her and uh, reminds her to say thank you Zephy nonchalantly says thanks as she heads inside the house i mean i do I agree mean, <laughs> yeah you should be thankful you should whatever. say thank you but let's be honest that's the other family's dog and he stole that shit you think so of course he's not going to a pet store well, I mean, it's over a year later. He just what kept the dog. I mean, oh, I guess you're right. You're right. Right. Yeah. yeah never mind. Yeah. For whatever reason, my head went away from the one year later, and I was like, "Oh, you're coming directly from the house," but that's not true. Right. 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 Because um, I mean, we we know his mo, right? Like, we know that he likes to set up beforehand, like in the midst of which him if knowing. Their father died a year ago. Do you think he killed him? Holy shit. I'm, just, I'm connecting <laughs> the dots. We never, we never ever get how he died. Right. And we've seen him stage accidents before. Right. And like, and that's, and a, that's a year another later, question, right? right? Does he pick the, the uh, family or does he pick the house or the town first? Because he does do his research before he does killing do his, his research family. beforehand. So like that's he that's what the other, father. I, think, I think he killed the fucking dad. Well, that's fucking wild. I think he killed the dad so he could swoop in. Cause bruh got the riz. Yeah. <laughs> he got the riz. So he was just like, I'm I'm I can easily. I'll be get here this to mother. help you mourn and stuff. Oh my exactly. god. Exactly. He he went wedding crasher style but backwards. <laughs> Which I Damn. guess they technically have in Wedding Crashers too. That little seat of the uh, guy going to, to the, the fucking funeral. funeral. That's fucked up. That's Jerry funny. comments about needing to fix the screen um, to the door of that door one day, hoping that Stephanie didn't take it as him trying to purchase her love, finding the puppy mm. to be a mistake. Susan tells him it was perfect, and so is he. They walk back toward the house as she mentions that it'll t just take some time. He agrees that being something he has plenty of. Cut to Stephanie inside her therapist's office, Dr. Bondurant. He comments for her to stand still as she paces back and forth. She rebuts that she'll stop pacing if, uh, if she stops doodling while looking out of the window to Jerry outside staring back at her. He agrees that she'll pace and he'll doodle, wanting to continue the conversation about her father. She reminds him that, the, that her father died a year ago he apologizes correcting himself that she, that he meant stepfather she stops claiming that she wouldn't have a stepfather if her father didn't die in the first place he concludes that she's mad at him for him dying she shifts that she's mad at somebody he explains <laughs> that being unable to accept her father's death it um is 
uh, it being a part of the reason she's getting in trouble to begin with. She claims that she isn't that much trouble. He goes over the, the list of cases, suspended three times last year, twice this year, even though school's only been in session for two months. <laughs> and this is this is great because it does give us a sense of uh, of a timeline. Sure. Right. Yeah, Where, yeah. Like we could probably guess since it's only been two months. It's probably October. Right. Right. Getting into November, something yeah. like that, because um, we see later that it's Thanksgiving. So it's probably November. Early November. Yeah. Yeah. So she probably started September, October. So it's probably early November. So just right after Halloween. Right. Probably. She looks down at Jerry, knowing what her problem is, saying, quote unquote, him, understanding that if he wasn't there, then her and her mom would be all right. He tells her that she's going to have to face the fact that her mother loves Jerry. She knows that her mother doesn't um, doesn't see um, Bondurant doesn't understand what she means, questioning what Su- Susan doesn't see. Stephanie ends their session by reminding him about her time being up. Hmm. I liked Bondurant. Um. But their second encounter was so fucking weird. We'll talk about it, but like okay. we'll get there. But I like Bondurant's character. Yeah, he seems more like the father figure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's like it, but that it, crosses some line between professionalism and actually like being a father. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. Um, but we also we find out later that he is a father. Yeah, right. So like you know, so he's seeing that from the father's perspective. Exactly. Right. Got to her sitting next to uh, Jerry as they drive back home. He asks her how how her session how her session was. She answers that it was okay while turning on the music to not speak to him anymore. <laughs> he brings up the fact that they seem to be butting heads all the time, wanting them to get along better. She bluntly answers, "Quote unquote, sure." He adds that she also needs to get along better in school, it mattering to both him and her mother. She doesn't answer. Instead, we jump to Stephanie fighting one of her classmates in art class, some of their peers (laughs) egging them on while a few others are trying to have Stephanie stop. Their teacher, Mr. Conroy, breaks up the fight, yelling at them and grabbing Stephanie, telling her that this is is the last time as she causes an uproar in his classroom. Another student, Paul Baker, steps in to mention that she didn't even start it. Conroy comments that he he would ask for his opinion if he wants it next time grabbing stephanie telling her to come on mentioning that she couldn't get herself into into deeper trouble if she tried she slightly pushes him on the back as they walk out of the classroom leaving a green handprint on his back the classroom slightly laughs laughs as they all leave out (laughs) the way she pushes him too she's like fuck you (laughs) this fight was like crazy yeah she was ruthless I was like, damn. Uh, I was like, what yeah, she it's like, do? Why is no, yeah, it's like, why did it take the teacher so long? Like, <laughs> I don't know. This was fight is going there? on for a solid at least a minute, and a minute is a long time in the fight. That's a long time. Um, but yeah, it's comedic because it's like, oh, you better behave in school. Cut. Ah, yeah. I'm about to rip your head off. <laughs> Ah. He's like, well, I got expelled. (laughs) Jerry shows a family a new house, asking them what they think of the home, sharing that it's the south and they'll all they'll have the sun or it's facing the south and they'll have the sun all day. The man asks his daughter what she thinks, but she doesn't know. Jerry uh, bends down, sharing that that it also has a swing set. While the family are coming outside the house, he's swinging the younger girl on the swing set. This was definitely a different time because. I do not think anybody would be that trustworthy anymore. Right. It's like, hey, you're a random like realtor. Like, why are you like playing with my kid? Yeah. Unsupervised. Not. Like that the parents were inside They're the house. Inside the house. Out. They're not even looking in that yeah. direction. I do want to point out the the sign. 
again, like I said, like this movie really uh, heavily nails it where like his ideology of like the perfect American family. The American dream. The American dream. Where... He even says it. He's selling American dreams, right? Yeah. And so if it actually pops up. Yeah. Because you're talking about the American Eagle Realty. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like it really shows like he's literally, yeah driving that force it's like yeah. this is what the perfect home looks like i'm showing the family this he even talks about like oh this house really deserves a nice family in here he's all about the family values yeah. he talks about that a lot uh he even gets a little bit like weirded out that's like why are you even checking this house out yeah later if you on if you don't we'll, have a family which we'll talk about but yeah yeah it's it's funny that he works for a company called american eagle realty because it just fits the, the whole theme of like what his life needs to be like. Yeah, for sure. Sharing that he has a daughter named Stephanie who goes to Oak Ridge High, knowing that uh, she'll go there as well when her parents buy that house. He asks what grade she's in. She excitedly answers third. He smiles that he remembers when Jill was in third grade and he used to walk her home every day. The little girl asks, who is Jill? He claims that being his daughter. She reminds him that he said her name was Stephanie. He immediately mm. jumps back in, not making light of the of his past lives, going over all the supposed things that she's that she's on, uh, and him being proud of her. Stephanie comes uh, comes out of the school. Karen's uh, waiting for her out front. She asks if he, if she's suspended again, but this time she's expelled. Karen tells her no, wondering what she's going to do now. Stephanie is thinking boarding school, wanting to try uh, try for it. Karen wonders what her stepfather is going to do when he finds out. She comments that she's that he's going to kill her. Mm-hmm. She knows. Man. Great lines in this movie. Oh, fantastic yeah. lines. Um, you know, it, it also goes to show how well off this family is just yeah. for like their daughter to just casually pitch um, wanting oh, to go send to, me boarding to boarding school. school. Yeah, yeah. Just like boarding school is fucking expensive. <laughs> It's just like, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, but at the dinner table, Jerry doesn't understand how she got expelled. She says that the principal claimed that it wasn't working out. He comments that he comments that girls don't get expelled while looking at Susan. She tells Stephanie that it is over and the damage is done, wondering what they are going to do about the future. Stephanie tells them that she wants to go to boarding school, both of them in shock. Susan questioning her on wanting to leave the home. He comments that it isn't a family without children. Weird. She finds that it would be best for everybody. Susan wondering if running away is the is best for everyone. Stephanie raises her voice that it isn't running away. Jerry stares at her with slight rage in his eyes. Susan wanting his opinion. He responds that they don't need to break up a family while calling her pumpkin. They are all silent. He comments that father knows best. They all go back to eating while he stares at them. And he's like, fucking evil in his eyes dude like he yeah. looks like he wants it, to this, slaughter them yeah this is where it starts to irk him that it's not not the part of him like he, he also and i don't like the aspect i mean it makes sense for his character but he's really into like the gender roles as oh well. yeah it's like huh girls don't get expelled that's usually the bad boys like mm-hmm. guys or whatever uh and he's like father or it's goes not fast. ladylike to get expelled. yeah, yeah. um and it's just weird, but, like, this is where the tension starts to build with, like, hey, this might not be the family for me if it's not this perfect. Um, but I love that he tries to get her back into school later on, too. 
but it's like anything with not breaking the family up. Yeah. And now that's his like main mission now. It's like, can I hold this family together? All about the family unit. Yeah. Yeah. Afterwards, Jerry heads downstairs in the basement. Stephanie is in her room speaking to her friend Karen about the big talk, calling it freaky. And he looked at her like he wanted to, quote, erase her off the face of the earth, end quote. Karen asks if he's going to uh, going to allow her to leave. While she's on the phone, Jerry's inside the basement putting on a flannel while getting ready to fire up a saw. Stephanie mentioning that he wants them to, to be this perfect family, a knock at the door. She hangs up the phone, allowing her mother to come inside. She asks her mom where, where her uh where her blindfold fold is susan is confused asking about what blindfold stephanie comments that she thought condemned prisoners always got a blindfold meanwhile jerry is sawing some wood for a birdhouse while susan asks if she really wants to leave home she does claiming that it isn't their home anymore but it's jerry's Mm. He finishes up downstairs, turning everything off while whistling and heading back upstairs. Susan explains that she loved Jerry. This, or excuse me, Susan explains that she loved Stephanie's father, and when he died, she thought that was it, thinking that she only could be uh, only had a chance once. Uh, or excuse me, thinking that she only had one chance to be to happy, be happy mm. never imagining that she would love anyone like that again. I would have been like, yeah, but that fast, Ma? For yeah, real? yeah, it's like, you can over time. Yeah, like, like that was quick. You um, kind of got over Dad real fast there. Something to point out, too, the, the birdhouse. I feel like that's also symbolic of him constantly trying to build the perfect house. Yeah. Which I'm like, oh, a little contrast and stuff like that. And I feel like every time he goes to his basement, it's where he can be himself and then go back to being his character. Oh, yeah. It gives him his it, little it allows him emotional kind of, breaks between his life. Right. Like, he kind of reground himself right. and self-regulate in the yeah. way that he knows it's how like, to I'm, self-regulate. I'm building this perfect house. I'm going to start working on my stuff. And yeah. it's like, I can, I can yell, yell. I can do whatever I Which want. is wild to me because you can clearly hear Susan yell downstairs. So the fact that they can't like hear him yelling and having a big... <laughs> Bitch bit down there like <laughs> that's so surprising to me but hey stephanie understands missing him so much jerry cuts out uh, cuts out the rest of the lights as he continues up up the stairs susan explaining that they had a second chance with him calling him wonderful who wants to care for them wanting her to give him a chance with tears in her eyes stephanie claims that she's trying but there's there's something about him he listens at the door for a moment before he barges in hoping that they aren't still upset about this school business susan answers that they are they were just talking about that he believes that everything will look clearer in the morning knowing that they'll work it out she kisses her daughter on the forehead telling her good night he tells her good night as she returns it back to him calling him by his first name as he closes the door cut to jerry watching mr ed on tv while sitting on the sitting on the bed laughing at the these stale ass jokes as susan gets ready to lie down in bed with him she comes into the room he chuckles that he used to love this show when he was a kid and it wasn't until he was in high school he realized that horses couldn't talk she said Productively crawls on the bed next to him, betting that he was cute back then, wanting to see a picture of him and that he never talks about his past. She kisses him on the shoulder. He claims that he didn't even exist before meeting her. I fucking love that because he didn't. He yeah. made this character up when he met her. This is all a facade. And, then, and I love how he's just like not so long about it. Yeah. Like she's he's like he's telling me. He's like, no, no. Like this is. Yeah, no. He's like, no, no, no. I didn't even exist. So, yeah, there is nothing before this. This is it. Jerry's a new dude. <laughs> but she's like, 
ready to get it on. She got her back arched and shit. She's like, she's like, turn <laughs> off this talking horse and let's uh start horsing around. Yeah, there you go. Let me see your horse. Oh, <laughs> 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 yeah. nay. <laughs> Oh, that was very loud. <laughs> she said, saddle up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's awful. Okay, we're done. <laughs> Ew. He kisses her and lies on top of her. It's love. Sweet nothings at her. The past not being real and the only time that matters is them in the present. She eats that shit up as they smack lips and they like, they kiss extremely loud in this movie. Maybe it was the fact that I was wearing headphones, but it was very loud. And it was like... It's like uncomfortably loud because even like she hears it. I'm like, oh, that's yeah. Weird. She hears her mom moaning and kissing. Yeah, and it's and she's like, well, fuck that. When gonna- when it's loud enough to have subtitles that says moaning, <laughs> that's <laughs> when it's too loud. It's a little loud there. Uh, he kisses he kisses her and lies on top of her, speaking sweet nothing to her. Um, oh yeah, I said all that part. Uh, they turn on, <laughs> they turn out the light um, while Steph is still awake in her room. I'm gonna be calling her Steph at this point, petting her dog and reading The Outsiders. She sighs from over, and I love that she's reading The Outsiders because there's an outsider in her home, and she Ooh, also feels like an outsider in her home. Right. But also want to point out the picture of her dad. Yeah, the picture of her dad and playing music. I'm sure it's probably the music they listen to together and stuff like that. She's remembering her father while trying to drown out what's going on in the next room. Yeah. And you can see when he's making love to her, he's emotionless. Oh, yeah. He cares nothing about it. Because it's not love. Right. Like, dude is like, he's. it's not love for him. This dude is just like, this is just my life. Yeah. And it's just like. It's like if you think about it, like you know how much happier you would be if you just like actually love somebody, like, <laughs> yeah, like, he, he's like if you just stale. actually try to just love someone and actually be there. Because like, yeah, he this could have worked out if he wasn't a fucking psycho. Yeah. <laughs> they um she sighs from over here and her mom having sex with Jerry, who is definitely not into it like she is because Susan is like she in there. She's doing all the work. She in there. She's just like. She locked in. Steph puts on headphones to drown out the moans as she turns out the light. Cut to uh, the original house. I didn't mention this, but as she is thinking about her dad, she does look like she's about to cry as yeah. well. Like she has heavy sighs. She looks at the uh, photo of her dad before turning off the light. And she does look like she definitely just probably just had a good cry. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because what I remember in the 2009 version, there is a scene where he is putting on music uh uh and he does have like an intense cry like he like and it's actually a really sad scene and very well mm. acted where he like pushes the headphones on his ears like hard right he, i think he hears his parents having sex and he pushes them on his on his ears super hard and he fucking cries like sobs mm. and it's it it was heartbreaking to see like gradually do that and this is like right after gossip girl mind you so like you know he's he's in his fucking prime right. and then he loses it like, and then he comes let me back show to you his how good i can act exactly yeah. and now obviously now he's joe and you but um killing it killing it literally he turns into the psycho himself now. yeah 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 that's a show that i feel like i want to get back into but i just haven't had the energy <laughs> uh, shows about toxic relationships i'll just live my life yeah go to the original house that jerry slaughtered his last victims and all boarded up a car uh, pulls up with two men 
Al Brennan and Jim Ogilvy. Um, Brennan doesn't understand what they're doing there. Jim shares that this is the house where Henry Morrison murdered his family. Brennan asks if he thinks uh, that he doesn't remember that, explaining that he was there that night, never wanted to see anything like that again. Jim knows because a friend of his sent him an article while he was in Europe at the time, it taking him nine months to get uh, to get it. Um, they get out of the car. Brennan explaining that the cops never caught him. Jim knows that uh, that the files are inactive, wanting them to be reopened. He tells Jim to speak with the cops since he's just a reporter. But Jim spoke to them already, and they don't care. He he puts a map on the top of the car, explaining that uh, three weeks before he killed them, he secretly quit his job, getting up every morning pretending to go to work, coming home the same night every. As the same time every night, Brennan doesn't care. Jim wonders how far he would he could go every day and still come home the same time every every night. He opens the map. Um, it has a circled radius of Seattle and its relative cities surrounding it. Thinking that he he was possibly uh, setting himself a new life close by. Which we see later that that is his MO. Like, Jim yeah. was on some hardcore shit. He's like, I don't even do this for a living, and I'm fucking great at it. Right. Like, Jim, Jim was doing it. You know, right, he which, had it down. Like, he knew what the fuck was going on. Brennan, um, Brennan doesn't understand what he wants from him. Jim wants a follow-up story. Running a picture of Henry. Finding a chance that someone might recognize him. Brennan knows, um, Brennan wants to know why he's chasing this. He puts away the map, sharing that Vicki Morrison Maiden's name was Ogilvy, revealing that she has she was his sister. Brennan sighs as he apologizes, willing to do what he can. That's good enough for Jim as he goes up to, uh, goes up to the porch telling him that this place is now um, is his now asking if he would like to go inside fuck no <laughs> I love that that was how his reaction was yeah. he's, <laughs> he's like fuck no back, in, back at Susan's home Jerry and her are throwing a backyard boogie I feel like that's what you call this it's just like not an ounce of melon in there just <laughs> just, just everybody is just mayonnaise <laughs> like, the whitest cookout ever it is like oh man they, is, yeah. they call Which, them I don't know yeah. like they look like they don't season their food they call them, they call them all in on so, the so driest shit. chicken I've ever had in my life I swear like it's funny it's just, it's just like yeah, like this yeah. is like the whitest neighborhood in the world <laughs> and I wonder if he structured it like that, where he has like that, maybe like, oh, oh this it. is not purity. One hundred percent. No, this dude is a fucking racist. Racist as fuck. Yeah, you right. know this dude is racist as shit. Like, yeah, he, uh, yeah. Like he does not deal with black people. He does not deal with like anybody who was not white for sure. Like right, this dude, like, I don't see you as perfect, so I don't want you. Exactly. Yeah. This dude, one hundred percent, has white nationalists. Uh, tendencies and ideologies for sure. The American 100%. dream don't got black people in it. <laughs> like, and Jerry is very much for that. Yeah, yeah you can definitely tell. <laughs> like that, that's why he became this realtor. He's like, I'm gonna make this neighborhood the perfect neighborhood for me as well. Right. So mm. yeah. 
They call them all. They call them all. Uh, they oh, excuse me. They all call them in as Jerry uh, goes to make his speech. He gets up high as to speak to them, sharing that when he first started at, with American Eagle Realty a year ago, they were all the first five families um, he sold to. Mm-hmm. One of them, Joe, asked about his garage door. Jerry slightly comments that he, it, it would still work if he didn't back into it. The crowd laughs as he continues that they meant doing business and stayed to become friends, joking for them to not sell those houses because he likes being their neighbor. Someone takes his picture. He asks for uh, for him to take a picture with his family. Calling for Steph and Susan, they both come up to him. Steph, hesitate, um, uh, Steph is hesitant while Susan is eager to join him. He rubs their arm and claiming that uh, th- uh, claiming that this is as good as it gets. Steph frustratedly gets down and walks away, leaving Jerry and her mom up there. He continues not wanting to sound pretentious, explaining that this job is selling houses but sometimes he thinks that it's more than that what he's selling is the american dream his voice trembles as he continues feeling a ho- feeling at home even though when he first got there he was a stranger commenting about his quote beautiful friends and wonderful new family end quote he kills the tr- uh, the tremble in his voice by telling them all to have a good time as he nestles his head into susan i actually think this was genuine I think this was very genuine. Yeah, because, because he's feeling the oh my god camaraderie. Thank you. Yeah, words tough. <laughs> uh, where he sees everything coming together to that perfect reality that he really that wants. he created. It's like this is a family. I want to bring my family up here. I'm very grateful for everything. I, I love you guys. You are my friends. You are yeah. part of my family. You're part of my community. It's fucking um, weird. And that's where I love where like this next scene kind of throws him back on his ass a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah, we see his true nature come to play. But, yeah, I do feel like it is very genuine. Yeah. 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 I definitely feel like he was just like, I made this. I made the life I wanted here. Right. And selling these homes. He's proud of himself. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he bought friends initially. Or, or (laughs) correction, his friends bought him. He forced his friends to buy him. Everyone bought into him. Exactly. The family, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Figuratively and the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the dog kind of hates him. Yeah. Although it, <laughs> came up, it came up to him later. I feel like this dog doesn't even want to be in this movie. It was yeah. like, like, the way you all handle me, you'd be like grabbing me. I'm trying to get away. Like, you guys are attacking me. Like, Steph, you cool. You cool. But, like, I like you. you I see everyone you. handle this dog? Yeah. The dog, the dog, the dog, the dog definitely is uncomfortable. The, the dog is very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, Like, you could tell the dog licking his face at the end. They had to put something on his face. Like, something sweet. Yeah. Or something, because that dog did not look like it really wanted to be. <laughs> Hell no. The party has wind down, and a group of Jerry's friends are reading Brennan's article about the murder, commenting about how they would print anything to make some money. Jerry comes over to the table asking um, about what they're reading. They hand him the paper, explaining that it's about a guy in Bellevue who killed his whole family, cutting them up with knives. Jerry claims that he doesn't know about it. Steph eavesdrops on the conversation from afar as Jerry's face becomes cold. One of his friends explaining that it happened a year ago, gripping about the, or griping about, about the one caveat. Jerry calls it terrible. Herb um, calls out, um, calls out to him a couple of times, asking if he's all right. He puts the paper down, calling it sickening for a man to be driven to slaughter his own family, not even wanting to know about it, Uh, not even wanting to know about it. Another one of them wondering what can make someone do that to their family. Jerry quietly speaks up, thinking that maybe they disappointed him. 
<laughs> he realizes that Steph is looking at him with fear in her face, and his friends aren't reacting. He shifts this back to being a party, calling over Tommy to take the newspaper away as it's uh, folded into a now um, handmade hat, calling him Blackbeard the Pirate, seeing the young boy run away. Steph is asked uh, to go downstairs to get some ice from the freezer. She she goes down there, grabbing the large bag of ice. Jerry comes flying down into the basement, not realizing she's down there, muttering as he bangs on the table, shouting that all, all they need is a little order, um... And she watches him have his manic episode as he repeats, quote, you're a good boy. Who's a good boy? Isn't he a good boy? End quote. This was fucking scary. This is a great scene and shows how great of an actor he is. Um, And this dude, dude, this character is super smart, too. He knows how to get rid of evidence very quickly on the top of his head. Like, head would be like, hey, I'm going to make this into a hat real quick. Call Tommy over. Newspaper's gone. Yeah. And change the subject very quickly as yeah, well. He knows how exactly. to protect himself, protect himself, and he's very defensive all the time. Uh, but this is where we see him really react. Right. And the reaction is... It's explosive. Chaotic. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a very explosive reaction. The fact that she was just, like, standing there, I would have been hiding. Yeah. I ain't gonna lie. I would have been hiding. I would have been like, fuck that. Let me try to get the fuck out of here. This dude looks like he's gonna hurt someone. Yeah. He grumbles the question why they won't just leave him alone. Um, but did you see how fast he fucking walks down the stairs? Yeah. Like, bruh, he looked like he jumped down the flight of stairs. He got down there so damn fast. It was so... <laughs> I, I, I just, I couldn't follow it. I was just like, damn, he got there fast. But yeah, it, it was, that was pretty wild. Um, it also doesn't look like she oh, grabbed. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, he, he jumps. He there's... jumps, dude, and then he immediately just comes in banging shit. Uh, it doesn't even look like she grabs ice. It looks like she grabs ice cream, like two yeah, tubs of large ice cream. I think that's what she was. That's down what she there was going for. for, not ice. Oh, okay. Um, I do love this zoom in shot too. Oh, it's there's great. some great camera movements in this movie. It's where great. I'm just like, oh, so good. And it, it, it's it's something about Jill Sholin's face as well, right? Like her face just feels innocent. Yes, like it feels very sweet. It feels very drawn. Um, and like, if it feels like if you were to hurt her, like you, you're hurting America's sweetheart, you know what I'm <laughs> fair, saying? Fair. Like, that's who she seems like. Uh, he exclaims to let himself out um, as he looks in another direction, commenting that they are going to keep this family together and that they had a better and that, that and that they have better believe it. So you can kind of tell that like he almost believes his split personalities. Oh, 100%. Right? Steph walks over toward him. He spots her immediately snapping out of it, greeting her and asking about the ice cream. Yeah, you're right. It was ice cream. Uh, then excusing that she knows she knows how it is, being a salesman that has to smile at everyone all the time. Sometimes he needs to let off some steam by himself. She's de- she's defensive, rightfully so, as she tells him, sure, before needing to get back to, um, to Susan before she starts wondering about her. She takes this opportunity to run back up the stairs, leaving Jerry down there. Later that evening, Steph goes out to now to a now empty backyard searching for something. She eventually comes across the newspaper hat, opening it up to an article that um, they were all reading. Cut to Karen putting the newspaper on Steph's desk, claiming that uh, that things like this don't happen. But Steph understands that it happened to them, so it could possibly happen again. Karen wants to understand, so she goes down the list of Steph's possible mindset. Quote, a man murdered his family. She hates Jerry. Therefore, Jerry is the man who murdered his family. End quote. <laughs> Sarcastically claiming that it all adds up. Steph comments that maybe it didn't maybe he didn't do it, but she didn't see see him down there in that basement. 
She did some checking, finding that Jerry met her mom right after this tragic event. Karen wonders what she was going to do. Steph is writing a letter to the Seattle Examiner requesting a photo of Henry, lying that she was t- doing a social studies project on mass murders. She hands it over to Karen, who's, who thinks she's off the deep end with the idea. Steph snatches it back. Cut to Brennan walking down a flight of stairs, being grabbed by Jim, yelling that he didn't run the picture, shaking him on, pe- on people not being able to identify them when he didn't run the picture. Brennan pushes him off, explaining that his editor didn't run the picture, almost being passed up on getting it published in the first place. Jim apologizes. Brennan accepts his apology, offering him a cigarette, considering that the, considering this j- to be a job for professionals, and he's just one man, not understanding why he can't just um, rest um, or let the rest of this go and live the rest of his life out forgetting about it. I don't know, maybe because his fucking sister was slaughtered in her own home. Right, with her kid and his nieces and nephews. Or, right. Oh, yeah. Like, and on top of that, he knew like, this dude. He It's not like he never met Henry. He knew Henry. And it would have worked. If they showed that picture, he would have been fucked right <clears throat> oh, then and there. Fucked. Yeah. Jim tells him, but we would have had a completely different movie at that point. <laughs> it's just an on-the-run movie. Yeah, it's just Manhunt now. Um, Jim tells him that he saw what he did what he did to them, asking if he could forget about it before walking off. Steph is in, in Bondurant's office. She explains with a smile that she heard that he only charges half uh, his fee to her. This is where it gets fucking weird. Because <laughs> she's like, it seems like she's being very flirtatious. The eyes... That she's given him and things like that. Um, yeah. It, it it looks weird. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> she wants to know why. He jokes that his three o'clock is schizophrenics, so he charges double. It all working out. She laughs at um, as he admits that she, he he likes seeing her before wanting to know her idea. She nervously shares that she wants to go to bur- boarding school, not wanting to hear him say it's running away. He interrupts her asking uh, what's the matter with running away. She's confused. He c- explains that sometimes that's the best thing to do, giving everyone some breathing room. She smiles as she sits up. <clears throat> he wonders um, what her folks say. She's, she feels that she uh, can talk to her mom and or she can talk her mom into it, but he wonders about Jerry. She explains that he he has this crazy idea about breaking up the family unit. He wants to have a talk with Jerry. She wants uh, to she wants to make sure that he's on her side. Bondurant c- claims that he's on her side, accidentally calling Jerry her father and change, changing it to him, letting her know that uh, he'll give him a call. Jerry goes out to gather the mail, finding that Stephanie has a letter from the Seattle Examiner. He stops his whistle, opening up the the envelope to find a photo of himself. He's in shock, thinking for a moment before Steph rides back into the house. Um, She calls out to him uh, coming home early. He He turns around, greeting her and calling her honey. 
She asks if anything came for her. He agrees that something did come for her. She wonders if she if she couldn't have it or she, if she could have it. He doesn't know, thinking that it's not the kind of thing that she should be looking at. He smiles that he's just kidding, handing her a copy of the Cosmopolitan before <laughs> heading back inside the house. Inside the basement, he smacks the picture multiple times before throwing it and hitting it over the light. Why didn't he throw it away or like burn it? Right. Yanking the picture um, of his quote-unquote sweet little family, muttering that Steph is a good girl as he throws the picture, taking a jagged knife and stabbing it into the table. Meanwhile, Steph is upstairs playing with her dog as Jerry continues motioning and mimicking stabs, throwing the knife on the table and grabbing a hammer instead. Susan is is icing a cake, snapping him out of it... Um, out of his next potential murderous rampage, letting him know that dinner is done in 15 minutes. <laughs> she making a whole ass cake with dinner? Hell yeah, she is. Sheesh. I it's mean, special occasion. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, but this is what you mean too by like those gender roles, right? Like she's very yeah. much always in the kitchen. Right. Um, and he's doing out doing quote unquote manly things. Right. Providing and, for the family. Right. Yeah. Like we don't, I don't think Susan works. As right. well, she doesn't seem to, at least. But it's hard to say because uh, we only really kind of see his job, right? Right. He drops the hammer on the ground, searching for the picture of his family, quote unquote, <laughs> um, calling it his baby and that he's sorry, as if he's speaking with Susan. Um, this is great, though. I love that he does this, like, I'm sorry, as he calls it. He's like, I'm sorry, baby, blah, blah, blah. When in reality... He's just talking about his life. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not talking about yeah. the family. He doesn't give a fuck about Susan. He doesn't give a fuck about Stephanie. He's talking about his life. He's like, I'm sorry, life. Like, I'm, you're you're good to me. Yeah. You're, you know, you're good to me, and I need to realize you're being good to me still. It's not over yet kind it's, of thing. Yeah, it's getting there, though. Right, yes. It's like, he's contemplating when he was down in the basement. It's like, do I just kill him now? Like, right. Yeah, he was, he was about everything. to go in. I'm gonna, like, he was about to go in right yeah. now, for sure. Uh, the phone rings and, and Susan answers it in the kitchen. It's Bondurant. Um, she calls for Jerry, letting him know that the therapist is on the phone for him. He asks if uh, he asks what he wants as he uh, is about to work on his birdhouse. She explains that he wants him to come in and, and for a talk. He tells her to let him know that he's not there. She doesn't understand why he won't just come upstairs to speak with him. He repeats what he said, adding if he calls back to tell him again. Susan picks back up, uh, picks back up the phone, letting him know that Jerry can't come to the phone at the moment, and she will have him give him a call back. Cut to Jerry leaving out of Oak Ridge Photography Shop. Jim is asleep in his car, awakened by bangs on his car by uh, from Lieutenant Jack Wall, confirming that he's uh, he's speaking with Jim. Wall introduces himself, adding that he's in the parking he's in his parking space. Jim finding that to be part of his plan to speak with him about Henry. He gets out of the car. Wall sharing that Morrison isn't his real name. Jim asks what. What his real name is but they don't know since his personal history was falsified and his prints are untraceable they spoke to a criminal psychologist who proposed that he might be interested in it being possible that henry has done it before living with an ex existing family and something upset him and he killed them knowing that jim knew him and wonders what he thinks jim answers that it's it's better than a person possibility wanting to uh, uh wanting to know 
what uh, what Wall plans on doing about it. Wall shares that he won't do anything for the moment since they don't have a lead. Complimenting um complimenting him that that they don't have anything to go on unless he does it again. Jim questions them allowing Jerry to do it to another family while repeating that they don't have anything. Jim wants to know what he would do if he were in his shoes. Wall then claims that he would get a gun and quote blow the son of a bitch away end quote and then quick cut to Jim with his shooting fucking at the gun range. practicing yeah. his, shooting at the shooting range I love his stance he's like he's like bow legged like kind of yeah. kneeled down a little bit so fucking cool <laughs> everyone else is just like shooting normal and, and this he's dude just is like, just like so like into it yeah he's just like. He, look how far stooped he is. He's not even okay. There's no recoil on <laughs> this guy at all. <laughs> I just realized there's no recoil, like, and he's not blinking. Yeah, he's not blinking. There's nothing going on. Uh, but I do like the the redness of the scene too, to show a sense of danger and what yeah. he's about to do. It's going to send him into peril. Yeah. Um, That's also weird too. It just shows how greatly dedicated he is to finding this guy. He even slept in his car in the person's parking spot just to talk to the guy. So he has very like smart aspects to him as well as a character. But like Jim was really smart until the end. Like that was so yeah. out of character. And that's for the him. thing. It's like. Why are we following this character if that's going to be the end? Yeah, that was silly to me. Um, I don't know. Maybe he does live and he's just wounded and he's in Stepfather Part 2. I don't know. I don't think so. The Reckoning. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's actually even a completely different Stepfather. Like, like it's a different person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jerry goes up to Oak Ridge Which High. Makes sense. Yeah. He does, yeah. Um, introducing himself to the principal, uh, Mrs. Uh, Leitner. Um, he wants to speak speak with her about Steph, but Leitner finds it to be a lost cause. Meanwhile, Steph sarcastically admits Jerry to be the most wonderful man in the world with her therapist. Bondurant points out that he, uh, he got her back into school. She chuckles that it was it was to get her, get out of seeing him. She paces around, calling Jerry phony, and makes it makes. Uh, faces at himself in the basement. He writes that off uh, <laughs> on them all doing that. Do we? <laughs> um, but she doesn't understand why Jerry f- uh, freaks out um, on refusing to come see him. He jokes that Jerry is afraid of his evil eye. She admits that he scares her, which grabs his attention. And that it, that, it took all of that to, for her to say, like, he scares me. I need fucking help. Like that, that really just caught his attention, which is like, okay. Yeah. yeah I, like, to, I can I tell that you're afraid. You. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So As like, a father, right. I, I need to like protect this child yeah. from someone who could be harmful. Absolutely. Which he can think maybe more on like maybe the abuse aspect and not as far as like what she's saying, but still he knows that there is something wrong with this guy based on her behavior of being this scared. Right. And I love like that's like I said in the early on in this episode that like, it's cool to see someone believe in the main character. Oh yeah, that's yeah. a nice breath of fresh air every time it happens. At American Eagle Realty, Jerry receives a phone call willing to show someone um show someone a house named Mr. Martin, which is a fake name that Bondurando uses to get an appointment with him. They agree to meet at 4:30 the next day. Steph walking down the street with Paul, he wonders if she's going to come to art class again. She smirks that she's going to be in typing instead. He calls that a waste uh, since she has an artful soul <laughs> or artful talent, I think is what he says. Uh, she doesn't believe him 
them as he jokes that she could have a great future as a shirt designer, recalling liking the one she did on Conroy. He asked her for her to do the, uh, do that to one of his shirts if if it gathers uh, uh, if he gathers the paint. She declines, laughing that she would give him she would give him give it to him on his face. He tells her to uh, give it her best shot as they awkwardly play fight before holding each other closely. That was so weird. It's very childish. Yeah. Very um, innocent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it, it almost feels like it was like a metal Comical, thing. though. Yeah. Yeah, it was cute. It was yeah. cute. Um, grabbing each other's backpacks and handing them to uh, one another before parting ways. Um, it was like, Ooh, fuck me eyes. <laughs> <laughs> she goes up to her mailbox, finding the envelope from the, the Seattle Examiner. She runs into her room, closing, closing the door, opening the envelope to a man who doesn't look anything like Jerry. She's disappointed. Got to Bondurant, meeting up with Jerry, introducing himself as Ray Martin. He takes Bondurant inside the house, explaining the layout of the house. So wait a second here. Did, did he not meet Bondurant? Well, he was always outside of the office looking mm -hmm. in, so he probably doesn't know what he looks like. But she's a minor. So when I had to go to therapy as a child, maybe it's changed now, but I went to therapy in the 90s, not too far off from what, this year, right. 1987. So, like, I, you know, when I went to therapy as a kid, um, I, my grandmother had to be there. Like, she had right. to walk me in and, and check me in and all that stuff because I was a minor. Right. Um, like same thing, like for <clears throat> teenagers at a doctor's office, they still get checked in by a pediatrician. Right. You know, so it's it's still a pediatrician mm. that checks on them until they turn 18. And that's when they have an actual or a different physician pretty much. But same thing here. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, movie. Maybe her mom yeah. took her in once and they're just like they had this agreement. Yeah. I don't know. They somehow will get only pay half to still. For some weird reason that never gets explained, but I'm, I'm telling you, dude, that was a weird moment. Yeah, that was a weird moment. There was a lot of it's sexual like, tension in that scene. It's, it's weird because um, for the majority of the scenes, they're across from each other, and that scene, the way it's shot, they're like side by side. Yeah, on the couch together. Yeah, so it's like yeah. eh, personal space. <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Pointing him to in the direction that he would like for Bondurant to go, claiming that the house is great for children, wondering if he has a family. He answers that he's a confirmed bachelor like Freddy. What? <laughs> Asking now about him. Jerry claims to be being happily married, and he wouldn't trade it in for the world. Bondurant steps on a nerve that it, that it works for some people. Quote, the family, home sweet home, all that crap. End quote. He walks past Jerry into another room as he follows Bondurant, asking what line of work is he in? He shares that he's in, quote, stress, stress management. End quote. Jerry shows him the kitchen as Bondurant claims to like the built-ins and continues sharing about uh, more about his work, trying to find ways for, for employers and employees to get along with less friction, asking questions and them giving him an answer. I love that he turned this into a session for him too. Yeah. That was fucking genius. Um, asking him how he sleeps at night uh, or giving examples of how do you sleep at night. Asking him how he sleeps at night. Jerry claiming he sleeps like a baby. Bondurant finds that interesting thinking that there would be a lot of stress in his line of work. Jerry ponders that ponders and feels slightly defensive as he explains that there is stress in any job. Bondurant asks uh, what direction he's facing. Jerry answers normal. North. They go inside another room that's not complete yet, finding it to be a huge room for children. A house, a house like this should have a family in it. Bondurant questions the reason why he won't sell to him 
um, because he doesn't have a family. Jerry smirks that he didn't say that, adding that this is all being remodeled. Bondurant calls him a cheerleader for traditional values, which Jerry finds those to be important. Bondurant claims that it sounds like he uh, had a strict upbringing. He stops that you might say that, wanting to ask Bondurant a question on if he's interested in buying a house or if he's interested in him. Bondurant claims that uh, that to be a force of habit, slipping up that his wife gets on him about that all the time. Jerry goes up to him, confirming what he's uh, said previously about, about saying he was a bachelor. Bondurant tries to backpedal, claiming that he's recently divorced, sometimes forgetting that he's not married anymore. Jerry picks up a wood plank, immediately beating him with it, asking him who, uh, who he is and how he got onto him. With heavy breaths, Bondurant tries to stay in character on, on him looking for a house. Jerry claims that this house isn't right for him, this house being for a family. Family. Yelling as he repeats what Bonnerant says earlier, quote, a family, home sweet home, and all that crap, end quote. Then starts banging repeatedly on the top of his head until he kills him. Jerry um, picks up his, his body, realizing that he killed him. Dropping his body and picking, uh, and picking him, um, dropping his body and picking him up, that uh, they need a little order around here. Grabbing his wallet and seeing his ID for his real name, Bondurant, understanding now that it's Steph's doctor. He drags his body on the paper sheet and rolls, rolls him up in it, dragging his body out for them to go on a little ride. This was interesting. Like, you know, he was even, like, kind of happy that it was Bondurant. Like, he didn't look yeah. like he was that scared. I think the thing that really drove him insane is someone who was questioning his own values. Yeah. And that's where he started getting ticked off. And I think he actually thought this person knew that he was the killer. Yeah. And then he, he thought was kind of happy to see, like, oh, it's just my it's daughter just my, searching yeah. into my life. And, like, it's not as bad as, like, I'm not caught yet. Right. Because he knows Steph knows. Yeah. And it, or it's Steph is suspicious, I should right say. Right as soon as he starts getting irked by him. He brings him into this room specifically, like, hey, follow me into this room, right. which has, like, pretty much the coverings for the body to, like, be there, have a bloody scene without leaving any evidence. Um, so, like I said, like, Jerry's a really smart man, and he knows the mind games because he knows how to push it back. It's like, hey, are you more interested in this house or me? And he drives those one-liners so well. And it's it's super smart to like hear him say it because it makes him a threat. It's like, yeah. you can't outsmart me. I know what you're doing here. Right. And it ain't for this house. Mm-hmm. And you're pushing my buttons by talking about my values and the kind of person I am. You're talking about my childhood, my upbringing. No matter who you are, and I think you're probably after me, I'm just going to kill you now. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Cuts to Steph showing the photo of Karen in her room. She hands it back to Steph, knowing that she's upset that it didn't turn out to be Jack the Ripper. She claims that she was totally wrong. All while uh, Jerry is getting in, getting to work in planting and disposing Bondurant's body as an accident, putting him back into his car, buckling his seatbelt, and twisting a piece of the printer's paper, uh, the painter's paper, placing it inside the gas tank and lighting it on fire, putting the car into drive and it flying over the ledge and combusting. He watches as the flames roar beneath beneath him. He goes back to 
to casually walking down the down the dark road, whistling that racist tune again. Steph is inside the garage listening to music while she works on her on her bike, not hearing the garage door opening up and with Jerry standing right right in the opening. He calls out to her, immediately gathering her attention. Oh, she can hear that, but not the garage door opening. She locks. <laughs> she looks up at him, taking off her headphones. He shares that he has some bad news about Bondurant, explaining that he uh he. Explaining that his office just called, he's false, uh, and then he falls silent. She asks if if she shouldn't go to her session tomorrow. He tells her that it, it's more serious than that, sharing that it was an accident and his car went off the road. She doesn't understand. Questioning this, he kneels in front of her, letting her know that he's dead, apologizing to her. She begins to cry, asking what happened. He claims that nobody knows, explaining that the police says that he lost control of his car, calling it a stupid, unnecessary accident. She sobs that he was her friend as she goes in for a hug. He embraces her, calling her baby, and him uh, a special man. In his own way, hope, um, helping helping to bring them together, not allowing anything to split them apart. He rubs her head with a smile, basking in the fact that she's crying into his shoulder. Cut to Jim at his sister's old house, walking down the stairs into the living room where the crime was committed. She goes into the living room for a moment, then down into the basement. Looking around for a moment, turning on the light into a working bench, the bench has a small family photo tacked to it. He takes it down to look at it, picking up a magazine, flipping through the pages, finding a set of pages that are ripped out. Back with Susan, Jerry, and Steph putting up the birdhouse. Steph asking um, to help him. Them all shocked at her asking this. He asked um, her he asks her um, what she what she thinks. She claims to like it. He wonders if, if it is straight. She helps him position the house, calling out to him to apologize for her behavior. They agree to bury the hatchet, him explaining that he went through some rough times when he was a kid. Susan um, hugs and kisses her daughter as he explains that he outgrew his problems and so will she. Ooh. Uh-uh. <laughs> Susan claiming that she'll be too busy juggling off boyfriends. He questions mm-hmm. this as she quickly explains it, calling him old-fashioned. They they walk back into the house as one big happy family, Jerry not wanting her to grow up too fast. This was so fucking on character for him. This was perfect. Yeah. Because he automatically thinks, he, this dude's not a fucking stepdad. He's like, I'm your dad. Yeah. I am your father. He takes controls like, this is my family. Exactly. So on par, so on character. I thought this was great. And these are like lines that dad would say. It's like, well, don't grow up too fast. Right. It's it's sitcom. Exactly. Dad. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like fucking Al Bundy sitcom dad. Yeah. Uh, Jim frantically runs inside the Bellevue Library, frantically searching for a travel leisure magazine. Her dude busted in there like he was the police, though. <laughs> Just like almost fucking dropping books and shit, throwing yeah, things down. In, yeah, I'm like, damn, dude. This guy's rude. Yeah, like, relax. Like, I but get it. You had a fucking brain blast or whatever. But like. All right, Jimmy Neutron. Chill relax. out. Chill out. Come on. Anyway, he finds an article on ten great all-American towns. He cracks a smile as he looks through the. Uh, he looks through and finds Oak Ridge, Washington. All right, I'm gonna be real with you. I looked all these up, right? So I looked all these these places up just because I was just curious of the demographic. 
Like all of them, <laughs> for yeah. the most part. Like I think it was like ninety eight percent. Oh, the eighties. No, even now. That's I'm not, like I oh, was. What? Yeah, they're now. I I just looked up the demographic now, and like they're still very much all like kind of white neighborhoods. Mm. And I was like, huh. No, just curious. Yeah. <laughs> just curious. Just to see. Just you to should see. visit all of them. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. I'm okay. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, I'm black. <laughs> I go in there speaking Spanish. Let's, let's do a little trip. Let's go. Oh, hey, man. mis amigos. Oh, <laughs> they all start running away. <laughs> <laughs> You're right beside me. Ah! Are you fucked? Oh, my God. Awful. Racism be racist. Jerry Sad. and his new family praying over their Thanksgiving dinner, thanking God for bringing them together as a family. They all chuckle before getting ready to serve the food, asking Steph if she would like light or dark meat from the turkey. Before she can answer, he guesses that she would like, she's a drumstick kind of gal. She agrees, <laughs> chuckling that she likes too. She's like, how did you know you only know me for a year? This is the fakest dinner conversation I've ever seen in my life. Oh yeah, this is This bad. is the sitcom, like, who I'm talking about. Like, this, this almost feels dreamlike. It's yeah, so fake. This like, doesn't seem just, real at all. This isn't yeah, like, like this, this is, like he's just this is his dream, and I wonder if right. we're seeing his mindset right now. I don't know. It's possible. Yeah, because she switches like like that. And she's like, like, all you're of a sudden, my dad. Like, I love you. This is great. Yeah, like you're right. I'm a I'm a two drumstick. It sounds like it's like a comedy line. It's right. Like, no, dad. Yeah, like, I'm a two drumstick type of girl. I mean, even look how Susan is dressed. Right, both of them. Yeah, even like him. Like that. I don't know who dresses up for fucking Thanksgiving dinner, but not, not uh, like that. Not like this. Um, and then all of a sudden after Thanksgiving dinner, she just dips and she's the regular, which I think she was never there. It's possible. Right. Yeah. So it seems like she had dinner at this cafe. Uh, yeah. This diner. Uh, this little diner. Yeah. Yeah. Which I love the hue lights and stuff like that too. It's yeah. Cool. It's just like, why is there so many people there during Thanksgiving though? That's like, that's a lot yeah. of people. Anyway, he gets up to carve the turkey, mentioning that uh, until this moment, he never realized what Thanksgiving was all about. They all smile from his sentimental remark. Cut to a diner. Steph leaving out of the crowded restaurant, walking out in, and in between a group of people. Rude. Um, and even one of them was just like, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, like, I was like, fuck? Okay, that, was, that is kind of rude. Yeah. Paul pulls up, telling her to hop on his moped. She comments that it looks dangerous. He assures her that it's safe. She jokes that she meant him. He playfully Ooh. jokes back, calling her chicken. And I was like, damn, this is the 80s. She's willing to get on as long as he allows her to drive. They are driving down the road. Steph asking why he's not into Kathy Lombardo tonight or out with Cap, uh, Kathy uh, Lombardo tonight. Paul calls her a stuck up bitch. She takes that as code as Kathy dumping him. He claims that he uh, he have been he was the one doing the dumping, but quickly agrees that she in fact dumped him. That they chuckle as he tells her to watch the road. She comments that they are okay um, and he can stop holding on so tightly. He asks if he has to. She allows him to continue holding holding her if he wants to. They pull up to the front of her house. She kills the bike. He offers the um to walk her up. <laughs> So weird. He thanks her for the drive. He's like, it's your bike. <laughs> the officer like, walks oh. in the door. She allows it, thanking her for the ride. She chuckles like, it's his bike. <laughs> they awkwardly tell each other good night and that they'll catch each other at school. A dog barks in the background. He points out that it's the Miller's dog. 
<laughs> they so smiled uh, and say their goodbyes to each other before going in and kissing each other. Jerry opens the door, yelling at Paul that he could go to jail and that Steph is 16 years old. And he's like, I am too. <laughs> Susan comes outside asking what's wrong. Jerry yells that he tried to rape their daughter. Jesus. Paul sticks up for himself, explaining that he just kissed her goodnight. Susan asks Steph um, what's going on. She tells Paul to go to go home and that she'll she'll talk to him tomorrow. He goes down to his moped as she explains to her mother that she wanted him to kiss her because she likes him. Susan understands. Jerry shouting that it um, that she isn't ready for this, commenting that she's still a child. She rebutes she rebuts that she isn't a child. Um, exclaiming that he's all crazy and demented and hung up about sex. Susan demands her to not speak to her father that way. Steph reminds her um, that Jerry isn't her father. He's just a crazy fucking creep. Susan slaps the shit out of her, yelling for her to stop it, calling Jerry her father now, and and she'll have to respect him. Steph then runs away. Susan calls her to come back. He tells her to let her go and that she'll come back when she calms down. She asks, uh, what, what was he doing making such a scene? He claims that Paul was undressing her on the porch. She shouts his name, Paul Baker, and that she's known him longer than she's known Jerry. Mm. He doesn't understand what she means by that. She explains that all all of the progress that they made with Steph is thrown away by him. Jerry gets a demented look in his eyes, not saying anything to her, just walking walking away down the curb. He looks back at her as she decides to go back inside the house. This was the moment he decided, I need to start uh, looking for yeah, my new he's, life. He's done. You're done. Uh, it was this moment, moment he, he fucking killed her in, yeah. his, eye, in his head. He was like, like, they're dead to Okay. Him. Okay. Yeah. He's like, bet. Okay. Bet. Let me walk off. Let me turn back real quick. It's like, are you sure that's what you said to me? She's like, ah, going back in the house. Okay. That's what I thought. Okay. You're dead. Yeah. One little disagreement with him. That's where he's just like, nope, you're not the perfect family. Right. You blame me? No, yeah. I blame you. You are the, I'm the perfect dad. Right. Yeah. Like, it seems like arguing is okay, but disagreeing and not seeing the eye to eye. He's disappointed That's in them. Exactly. He's disappointed. Yeah. He's like, really? Okay. Next day, Jerry quits his job, saying goodbye to all his coworkers. Mm. Jim makes it to, um, to a town, um, driving down the road in search of something. Um, Jerry... Uh, Jerry leaves out of his office thanking and shaking hands with his former boss, Mr. Grace. Jim unknowingly passes up Jerry entering his car to go to the police station, explaining Jerry's M.O., knowing that he can't live without a family, wanting him to help him. The officer claims that he doesn't have time for this, but Jim only wants... Jim only wants copies of marriage certificates for the last year, asking how much uh, time that will take. The cop suggests it'll take more time than he's willing to spare, and he doesn't care enough. Jim needs them now, calling him an asshole as he walks out. The receptionist, Annie Barnes, comments that he's not qualified to call him an asshole, it being an earned privilege of knowing him for at least um, a half an hour. <laughs> he flirtatiously asks if she can help him out. She admits that she can, wanting to know why why she should. He smiles that he would like like it in the asshole wouldn't it works because she allows him to call her by her first name it's just like you just got stepped up to calling me by my first name <laughs> this was great um this reminds me of a situation that happened um a few years ago of this guy who was technically homeless but he would mooch off these women and they would buy him everything. 
huh. and he would put them in staggering amounts of debt. And he had this lavish lifestyle. Yeah, there's a documentary yeah. on, on Netflix. And he had this lavish lifestyle. And he just fucked these women over. Yeah. This is a ketchup commercial for spaghetti. Like, they put ketchup on spaghetti for this ketchup commercial. <laughs> oh, Heinz. <laughs> oh, God. This was... Uh, Oh, Amazon, your ads for uh, this movie. That's interesting. Susan drops Steph um, at another doctor's office. She calls her doctor um, back to the car. Steph bends down to hear her mom out. Susan comments that they say this doctor is the best, wanting her to have a good session. Steph heads inside the doctor's office, opening the doctor's door. Dr. Faraday sternly calls out to her. Are you Stephanie Main? She's like, no, wrong uh, office. Sorry, wrong office. I'm out. I don't want the heat. You're not personable. Steph ain't fucking with the vibes and calls it off, apologizing that she's got the wrong office. Before she walks out, she decides to go inside Bondurant's office, sitting at his desk, turning on his light and and picking up a photo of him and his child. She places it back down, looking at all of the session doodles, finding an address for uh, for him to meet Jerry at. She ponders on this. Meanwhile, Jim knocks on the door uh, to Mr. Meredith's house. He calls out to the man. The, na- the man's name, he confirms that it's him. Jim apologizes for bothering him and moves on to the next one, crossing off the name off his list. Cuts to Jerry on the ferry. Don't mean for that to rhyme. He goes in- <laughs> he goes inside the bathroom pre- preparing to uh, a new disguise. Glasses, fake mustache, no more toupee. Meanwhile, Steph climbs through the window to the address uh, that was on Bondurant's desk. She looks around the house, coming across the room where he met his demise. She looks around the room, finding the ripped painter, sh- um, painter sheet. She co- continues walking, startled by a realtor walking through the door with a client, and she runs out. I love how they both scream at each other. She's like, yeah. Whoa! And he's ah. like, Whoa! <laughs> oh, This house is supposed to be empty. <laughs> Got to Jerry in, Ro- uh, in Rosedale, Washington, walking into Chesterton's and Sons oh. Insurance Agency. Did you like pay attention to the sign too? A great, a great place, place to raise, raise a, a family. family. Mm-hmm. So good. It's great. It's great. Devilish. He introduces himself as B- Bill Hodgkins to Roy Chesterton. Roy recognizes him for calling uh, about the job earlier. They shake hands. Roy asking if they if he ever sold insurance before. Jerry claims that he did back east in Pennsylvania. Um, wanting to know about the policy that he, uh, no, wanting to know about a policy that he hasn't sold. Roy continues the interview, wondering if he has a specialty. Jerry answers that he's comfortable in all of them, but he has a personal crusade in family-related policies, particularly life insurance. Roy agrees that being a, t- a tough se- a tough sell since people don't like facing the fact that they'll die someday. Death always being the thing that happens to someone else. Mm. That's actually a really deep line. That being the reason why Jerry believes that it's really that he's really protecting the family. This is interesting because um, first of all, I want to point out, like, damn, I wish it was still that easy to get a job. Right? <laughs> um, but this is super interesting, right? Because like, one, he's not doing the realtor thing right now. He's now doing life insurance, so he. It sounds like he's setting up for like an even larger future at this point, right? Like, I agree, cashing out type of future. Oh, yeah. Jerry is back with Susan and Steph. Like, this felt like this was going to be his last hurrah. Yeah, it's like, the next family is going to give me my paycheck. Exactly. Like, if if they die this time, I'll be a lot more smarter. I'll be meticulous about it to the point where I'm just going to live my life. Jerry is back with Susan and Steph. 
eating dinner, them all not saying a word to each other. He scans the both of them as he continues to eat. While Susan is doing the dishes, she, uh, she stops Jerry from exiting the room, wanting to talk. He doesn't know what about. She conf she's confused as to why he doesn't know, suggesting that they t need to talk about what's happening to their family. He smells that he's taking care of it. She questions him doing, it, doing this by himself. He agrees that he is. He takes a walk down the street, passing up kids and play playing catch and others running. He looks over at the house he sold to one of the, his clients. The um, uh, the little girl stops and, or excuse me, uh, the daughter runs out yelling that daddy's home. She, he picks her up and kisses his wife. As they head back inside the house, the little girl stops to wave at Jerry, who waves back. Fade to Jim coming coming up to the main, uh, coming up to the main's house. Um, he rings the doorbell. Susan opens the door. He asks if Ger if Gerald Blake is home. <laughs> She shakes her head. She sh um she shakes her head th uh, that he isn't wanting to know if he's supposed to show him a house. He questions him selling houses. She confirms that he does, wanting to know what he what she can do for him. He's willing to come back later. Not sure if that's the same person. She offers to give him a message a message for him. That being okay for Jim, wanting to surprise him if if. If the guy is is who he knows, he thanks her as he leaves. Jerry is back on the ferry once again. Demi never rhyme. Heading back to Rosedale, he comes out of a house that's for rent, seeing someone raking leaves on the, on their property. He introduces himself to a woman, Dorothy Ryanhart, letting her know that she that he just rented the house next door. She smiles that they, that they are uh, that they are neighbors. Before introducing him, herself to him, he takes off his hat and she, as she welcomes him to the neighborhood. He suggests that she's doing hard work. She expresses that her kids are supposed to do it. He asks if, if it's just her and the kids. She confirms that it is with a slight smile. Mm. Hmm. She looks the like she's a victim. divorcee, though. She doesn't look like a widow. No. Yeah. But um, A little bit more chipper, a little bit happy. Yeah. Like, um, she's happy that she's here with her kids and stuff like that too and she says it with like a lot of pride behind it as well uh, something I was looking at so after he gets home after he goes across the bay or whatever mm -hmm. uh, they have dinner again and I spotted a few different things because I was like the dinner table looks completely different from what we saw on Thanksgiving mm. and I just rewinded back to the Thanksgiving scene and I saw a couple differences that is in the room itself uh, so the flowers in the far right corner is like all in bloom and everything's like very pretty looking and everything mm -hmm. like that. Um, in this scene, the flowers look a lot more dead and stuff like that too. Uh, oh, in, interesting. in the other scene too, uh, Steph, she's more slouched and leaning over her food a lot. And then in the Thanksgiving scene, she's proper sitting upright in her chair. Um, and his wife is actually sitting across. across and she's sitting next, next to him yeah i saw that across from steph yeah and it's time. actually an empty chair and it, it just shows like it probably was a dream then for him it probably was yeah because like this it, is what the perfect dinner scene would be for himself right but this but in is reality what the is not one is. exactly yeah especially now that he doesn't see this family as the perfect family anymore we get that real realistic look at their dinner table and, yeah. and she's all slouched up and she's away from him or not facing him anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's very interesting. It is interesting. Meanwhile, Susan calls the real estate office, the real estate office asking for Jerry. The receptionist lets her know that he no longer works there. She finds that to be some mm -hmm. sort of mistake, but the woman knows that it was, it isn't will that 
that it isn't, willing to give Susan her, um, his home phone number. As she is about to give it to her, Susan expresses that she knows that number because <laughs> she's calling from it. The receptionist apologizes, explaining that Jerry left a couple of days ago. Susan thanks her before hanging up the phone. Jim knocks on another door. A woman named Mrs. Fairfax says that, that it's about time, thinking that it's that he's her cab driver. He confirms her name. She uh, tells him she tells him not for long while while handing her uh, while handing him her suitcase for him to put it in his trunk yelling out that she's leaving now as her husband comes up asking if this is the guy he's like poking him on the chest and shit yeah. She nonchalantly says, sure. She's having an affair with a cab driver. He tries to punk Jim, threatening to break every bone in his body if he allows if he allows her to into his a cab. Jim grabs him with ease and puts him on the wall, telling him um, that he's not a cab driver, wanting to ask him some questions. He pulls out a photo, wondering if he's ever seen him before. Mr. Fairfax says that the beard um, is new, but he looks like their realtor. He asks his, he asks his wife. Um, she claims that it it could be him. Jim confirms him selling houses, running back to his car to head back over to Susan's residence, speeding out and asking and almost hitting the taxi driver who's actually pulling in. <laughs> like, what the fuck, man? Jerry makes it back to his uh, to his soon to be abandoned home, greeting Susan in the kitchen. She asks um, where she where he's been. He he lies that he was showing the Morton house for some folks from California. She tells him not to lie to not not to lie to her, sharing that she called his office today. He expresses that he didn't get a message. She knows that because he stopped working there several days ago. He plays dumb. She explains that the receptionist said that he left. He. Calls, he calls her an idiot, pawning this off on the receptionist, lying that she's new and playing the role. Susan questions if she, if he's still employed there. He tells her that of course he do, he is, asking her um, where would she, would he be. Um, he, he claims that this is upsetting, acting like um, excuse me, acting like he's going to, going to phone them right now. She tells him to forget. For, she tells him to forget it, and uh, she she must have gotten gotten the name wrong. He shouts out Hodgkins, and what's to get wrong? She stops, asking him what he said. He drops the phone, telling her to wait a minute, asking himself, who is he here? Mm. She calls out to him. He remembers that he's Jerry Blake, thanking her before striking her with the phone. She falls back. He hangs it up, asking her if she's all right as he approaches her. She tries running down the stairs, closing the door on him. He grabs the door, grabs for, for the door, grabbing her and hitting her in the face, which causes her to fall down the set of stairs or the flight of stairs. Jim is flying down the highway as Jerry looks for the perfect knife. He's he's about to head down into the basement, but here's the dog whimpering in the hallway. This was scary. Oh, this was terrifying. I didn't this know was what the was going to happen here. This dog did oh not want to be in this movie. Leave him alone. He calls out to it, telling it to come toward him, but the dog won't come toward uh, towards him uh, right away. He continues calling him until the dog comes comes to him. He pets the dog with the knife still in hand. Jim is still mm. shooting down the road. 
making his way over to Jerry. The dog continues licking Jerry's face as he keeps showering with showering it with compliments. Steph comes into the house calling for her mom. Jerry hears her. The dog runs over to her and she pets him before heading upstairs. Jerry gets up, calling her a very bad girl. Jim is, is stopped at, the, at a crosswalk due, due to a nun and some students crossing. And he's like yelling to himself like he's like come on come on hella comical <laughs> like out of everything it's like oh it's an old nun and some school kids yeah. <laughs> it's like it's the driver's test uh, <laughs> like, for real <laughs> <laughs> it's like you wouldn't want to run these people over it's literally kids and the, literally the it dude that's fucking amazing uh, he speeds off after they all move out of the way steph starts taking a shower Jerry moves toward the bathroom. Jim makes it to the house, ringing the doorbell as Jerry is making his way up the stairs. He stops for a moment, thinking about what to do ne- next as Jim decides to just check the door. It unlocked. It's unlocked, and he enters the home. His hand is in his pocket as he looks around. My dude, you need to have the gun out. Yeah. What the fuck? In Especially your pocket? Knowing. Um, this scene when he's going up the stairs, definitely obviously in the most psycho, I would say. Oh, yeah, with the uh, shadow um, and the knife in the hand. Shadow, but this is a great overhead shot of him walking down the hallway. This is awesome. Uh, the lighting allows his uh, shadow to be extended throughout the hallway with the knife in his right hand. The lighting is beautiful. Um, this is really great film work. Absolutely. Uh, so it's really cool to see. I did feel a little bit uncomfortable because knowing that she's 16, why did you have to show nudity in this scene? You didn't have to. Even in uh, Psycho, they don't do that. Yeah. Uh, and that's like a, a well, full-on woman, but it's like. Yeah. I mean, it's a different time too, right? Yeah. Like, the 80s just, was all about fucking tits and, and blood. Yeah, but so, yeah, that's weird. But. If you didn't have tits in it, it didn't sell. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, you know, like the 80s was all about that shit. Yes, yeah, shower exactly. scene. You like, know. you all remember, audience, she's 16, you sickos. Right, yeah. Maybe not the actress, but still. like Right. The actress wrong. for sure isn't, but yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I, like, regardless, I get she plays she's a playing a teenager. So. I mean, it's the same thing goes for like things like Euphoria, right? Like right. How, how people are super like attracted to that show when in reality, we're, we're watching all a lot of teenagers just fuck. Yeah, and same thing and with drugs. Skins, and, yeah, yeah, right. Like, I mean, all of those, all of those shows have always made me uncomfortable. That I'm, uh, that's the point, right? Yeah. That's the point. But yeah, it's unlocked, and he enters inside the house. Um, yada 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 yada. Jerry closes the door, recognizing him and calling calling out to him. Jim points out that he has blood on his face. He wrestles to grab the gun out of his pocket. You fucking idiot! But <laughs> un- ultimately unsuccessful. Jerry stabs him in the gut multiple times, telling him to call next time he decides to drop by, you filthy animal. Back up the stairs, <laughs> uh, he goes, searching for Steph inside the bathroom, but she's not inside. This was, like, Jim was so fucking, like, this was so lame. That was the dumbest shit. I agree with everything he said. She walks down the hall, drying her hair and stopping right in front of him. He says, hi, pumpkin, as she realizes that he was, in fact, the killer. She dodges his knife strike. She runs inside the bathroom, locking the door. He bangs and yells for her to open the damn door as she yells for help out of the window. This was also really, really fucking scary because the way he's banging on that door it's intense. He breaks the mirror that's on the door from the other side from his intense banging. She picks up a shard of glass um, to use as a weapon. 
He bursts through the door and she stabs him in the arm, about to run downstairs, but notices Jim's dead body at the bottom of the stairs. She continues running down the hall, still screaming for help. He takes a shard of glass out of his arm while he's uh, while she makes a run for it to the attic, grabbing her leg, but she's able to get loose and make it up there. Excuse me. He follows her. She slides a, a sled. Um, she slides a sled over at him, but he ducks right in time. Like that was fast. <laughs> that was so. That was fast. That would have messed him yeah. up. That was yeah, fast. She skyrocketed that sled at him. My dude had cat-like reflexes. <laughs> like, he was like there, and then he wasn't. <laughs> he growls in anger, going up there, calling for uh, for her inside. There's this goosebumps intro-looking attic. He gently tells her that this is all a game shifting between anger and psychotic calmness finding her finding her and telling her that uh it was all a misunderstanding um it's uh she walks over the beams and he follows her but steps on the insulation, falling below into the bathroom. Steph makes a run for it, trying to make it downstairs before he he wakes back up. She gets back into the hall, cautiously walking toward the stairwell. She makes it um she makes it to the top of the steps, stopping when she hears um she hears her mother at the bottom calling for her. She calls out to her mom. Jerry grabs her and throws her back on the ground. Susan shoots him in the back. He falls back down the stairs but continues walking up towards Steph. She shouts no as she takes another shot but misses this time. Then another, hitting him in the butt meat. <laughs> Got him yeah. right in the booty meat, boy. Uh, he falls down again. Susan calls for Steph to get the knife. Steph and Jerry race, race crawl. I don't know why she couldn't just stand yeah, up. Yeah, she just got through. What the fuck? That's yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> it made it seem like she did get stabbed, but it was like she wasn't stabbed. Like she just, he just threw her on the ground. Just, well, your legs work. Yeah, get what up. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, but they crawl, they race crawl toward the knife while the gun jams on Susan. They both, they both grab the knife at the same time. He pulls himself up to, up, up the stairs, but Steph gets the knife, stabbing him in the chest with it. He stands up, and with heavy breaths, he whispers that he loves her before falling down the stairs. He's still, he's still conscious for a moment before falling unconscious. Susan sighs a relieving sigh as Steph sits, sits at the top of the steps, looking at him. Fade to the paper boy tossing the morning newspapers. Susan comes out into the backyard to Steph sawing, sawing down that stupid birdhouse. Once it is down, she goes goes over to her mom and they hug as they walk back inside the house. She looks back at the birdhouse one last time. Then credits. Hell of a fucking flick over here, y'all. What a movie. Man. What a movie indeed. I love this flick. It's a fun movie. It's super cool. A great character uh, It holds piece. up very well, especially for a movie that's this old as well. Yeah. Uh, great acting, cool dialogue, fun sequences. It makes me There's want to rewatch to the sequel. Yeah, it makes me want to rewatch it. So you let I might me know how I that goes. That. <laughs> I will. Yeah, I will. Because I like I, it after watching this. Let me know. I will. I'll, I'll yeah, because I because I, I kind of want to rewatch it. I want to see the other sequels. Maybe. Me too. I really want to watch the sequels too. Yeah. Um. Uh. Got some movie facts for us here. Movie facts. <gasps> Jill Schlolin did almost all her own stunts for the climax. Yeah, even the crawling scene, huh? Even the crawling scene. I think it's more so cool, like though. her yeah, yeah. going into the attic and and yeah, having yeah. to you know run inside the bathroom and all this other stuff. But hey, it was good. 
This is uh, loosely based on the story of John List, the New Jersey man who killed his family in 1971 and was on the run until 1989. When his profile on the television show America's Most Wanted America Fights Back in 1988 resulted in this capture. The episode is Johnny Mill List, John Riccardi. Huh. Interesting. So they caught him after this movie. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. I wonder if he like watches like I love this movie. Uh, Just, hope like, not. This is the protagonist I want. Yeah, but he's talking about him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a man too. Josh, uh, Josh, Joseph Rubin was uh, initially reluctant <laughs> to direct this movie because he didn't want it to be another run-of-the-mill slasher movie. Fair enough. Hmm. Interesting. Um. For those who don't know Joseph Rubin's work, I think he also did um, The Good Son hmm. as well, which is one of my favorite, uh, like, demented kid movies ever. <laughs> but yeah, he did that. Nice. So there you go. Him and families. Joseph Rubin. Um, what else we got here? What else we got? Jill Slostrom was actually 23 when, when this was filmed. Uh, the film takes place in the fictional town of Oak Ridge, Washington, located on, uh, on the Kitsap Peninsula. Huh. Yeah, that was the only one that I couldn't find where I was like, oh, but it was, it, they named the city that it was supposed to be based off of. And it was some other city in, in Washington as well that you can visit. Um, Director Joseph Rubin originally wanted Jerry Blake to whistle the Barbara Streisand song the way we were, but the rights of the song proved to be too expensive. Huh. So we we settled on zippity doo Got it. Uh, at the backyard party, one of the attendees wanders off camera what, what it took for the man to turn his family into Gaines Burgers. Um, this is a reference to the sh- to the sh- shelf stable moisturized dog food that was formed to look like hamburger patties, individ- individual Ooh. wrapped. <laughs> Introduced in 1961 by General Foods, they stopped production in the 90s, being a best-selling brand at the time. Audiences who uh, would have been familiar with this product. Jerry hands Stephanie the November 1985 edition of Cosmopolitan magazine with Paulina Prozovsky on the cover. Cool or. Porizkova is how you pronounce her name. I think. Mm. Let's do one more here. Let's get a, a nice little beefy one. Uh, well, slightly, slightly beefy one. Uh, pff, these are not great facts. <laughs> Maybe we won't leave you for this. You know what? That was the last one. Yeah. But yeah, let us know what you think about the stepfather on Twitter at nightlight underscore pod. That's night with a K because we definitely want to keep this conversation going. You could also let us know over our Discord as well, as we have a lot of fun chatting over there. But yes, let us know about this film. The next film that we are going to be covering inside our month of fathers. Yeah, gee. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> the Devil's Candy, which I am so excited for you to see. Never heard more of than it. even anything. You are going to. This movie is definitely going to make you feel a little uncomfortable, Freddie. I'm warning you now, letting you know right now. Uh uh-uh. So just get you get you whatever you need to do Jeez, to cleanse thanks, your friends. eyes. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> whatever you do to clean clean your eyeballs, ratatouille. Go ahead, yeah, because use them. Because it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. It's not terrible. 
that's gonna make you feel uncomfortable. I'm just letting you know that right now. All right. This was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight, alongside me with my hat. Freddy. Always keeping it spoopy. Always and forever, also known as Nighty Night. With your help, we can reach more Ghoulish Nights with your recommendation to someone who would actually enjoy the show. If your podcast app allows you to rate our show, consider giving us a five-star rating, as it does honestly help us out a ton. For extra horror-related content, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's not with a word. Okay. And remember, everybody, don't forget, 